Warriors out. The Warriors are nutted out to the right. Here they go. Through the hands. Metcalf goes himself. Metcalf's in. And here it is. Luke Metcalf. And keeping the soothsayer once again. He called it before a kickoff. 20 metres out, the Warriors play the ball on tackle number two. Johnson back towards the middle, finds Walker. Then they go through the hands to Metcalf. Metcalf has players running on the outside. Pompey through to Montoya. And that is textbook from the Warriors. They went from right to left. I'm pretty sure every player touched the ball, Kempe. Goes towards Johnson back in the middle. Johnson in has some pace and space with Harris. A good ball to Walker. Walker's going to go in on his 200th NRL game. Dylan Walker runs the perfect line. Gets the ball from Johnson, and he gets another four-pointer for the Warriors. It is 28 points to four. It's a riot at Combank Stadium. And that, folks, was just the first half highlights. The one New Zealand Warriors led the Parramatta Eels 30 to four at halftime, running in three more tries in the second half to win 46-10. Give their milestone men, including Sean Johnson, playing in his 200th game for the club. Plenty to celebrate on the trip home. It's Origin Week, so there are only five games on the NRL schedule across the weekend, and there's plenty of anticipation for Wednesday, even if Queensland have sewn up the series against New South Wales. With us now, from ABC Sport in Australia, is a man with a great beard, a great beard and an even greater knowledge of the NRL. Good morning to you, Nick Campton. Morning, Smitty. That's just made my day. (laughs) <laughs> Nothing better than a big beard and tell you, and especially in winter, love it, love the thought of it. Uh, hey mate, uh, in all honesty though, uh, we're pretty chuffed about forty six ten over the Eels. It might be a slight of the Eels team, but you can only beat what's in front of you. And on the back of our pretty poor performance the previous week against the Rabbitohs, we'll take this um, because it was impressive. Yeah, absolutely, Smithy. And I, while the Eels were pretty depleted, I think it was important for the Warriors to bounce back well um, after that performance against South. So I think against South Sydney, they kind of let themselves down a bit. They didn't play the sort of footy or, or play with the same sort of discipline that we've come to expect this season. And, you know, any team can have a bad game, but the important thing is sort of rebounding from that and getting back to what works and, 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 and sort of showing that, you know, a bad loss is just a bad loss and that it is an aberration. I thought the Warriors did that really, really well against the Eels. They just played to their strengths um, with, uh, with, with, with real confidence and clarity. You know, the way they attacked through the middle of the field with Tohu Harris and Adam Fanua Blake, the, the way they were able to hit the edges and, and, and really play across the whole width of the field. You know, that, that, that was really apparent to me. I thought Luke Metcalf probably had his best game in first mm. grade. Um, and I think it's getting to the point now where I know Tamari Martin's a, a good player who was having a good year before he was injured. But I think based on his recent performance, I think Metcalf has to hold that spot next to Sean Johnson because... They complement each other so well, you know, and it was, it was good to see the Warriors sort of rebound and get back to the sort of footy we've come to expect from them this season. They seem to play to a really um, basic sort of uh, game plan. It's not too complicated from Andrew Webster, a lot, based around a, a lot more solid defence this year, uh, I think, Nick, and that's been one of the trademarks. Points for and against much more heavily weighted towards the Warriors this time around. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Andrew Webster was um, a, a, quite a low-key hire for the Warriors. I think everybody knew that he'd, he'd been part of that really successful Penrith side over the last couple of years, but he didn't quite have the, the hype or the reputation of someone like Cameron Serraldo. But if you look at the, what the Warriors have achieved this year, they're the team that's, that has sort of gotten that... Um, they're the ones that have sort of had a little bit of that Penrith DNA in their defence. You know, like, we talk a lot about their attack and how good it is with, you know, Johnson and Metcalf and... Dylan Walker and all the rest of them. But I think you're right, Smithy. I think it really is built on their defence. And that's something that's sustainable through an entire season. You know, like there's that old saying, defence wins premierships. 
it's absolutely true. You know, so as long as they've got that, as long as they're able to hold their line so well every week, I think this is a team that should be starting to dream really, really big. In terms of uh, the Eels, uh, what did you make of uh, their performance as such? And question marks over Ryan Madison in the number six jersey? Yeah, look, it, it can be tough to take too much away from Parramatta's performance just because they were missing like, some of their most important players like Clint Gutherson and like Mitchell Moses. But I think back to their last Origin Impacted performance against Manly where they had the same halves combination of Ryan Madison and Dejan Arcee and, and they did really well, you know, and, and, and they were without Junior Paulo on that occasion. So even though, you know, you kind of got to take this performance with, with a grain of salt, I was a little bit disappointed, especially in their defensive application, which has been a real strength of theirs over this recent run of success that they've had. Um, but yeah, they just, they just looked like they couldn't, couldn't compete with the Warriors' power in the middle of the field or their speed on the edge of the ruck. So... Well, it's not panic stations for Parramatta fans. I, I, would, I would have been a little bit disappointed if I was of a blue and gold persuasion. Only five games uh, over the weekend, Nick, uh, beginning, of course, um, on uh, Thursday night. Uh, with uh, the Tigers going down to the Sharks, not unexpected. A uh, slightly smaller scoreline than uh, a lot of people expected. The Sharks now head, of course, uh, across here to take on the Warriors. On that performance against the Tigers and then looking at the Warriors, what are you thinking about this weekend? I think it's I think it's a massive game for both sides because I think both teams will be sort of looking at that vacant spot in the top four and they'll be thinking we can really reach up and, 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 and take that spot for ourselves. But for it to happen, you can't just beat the bad teams that you're expected to beat. You have to beat the teams around you on the table. You know, and that's been a struggle for Cronulla over these last 18 months. You know, they're, they're, they're great against the teams they're expected to beat, but when they come up against teams that are really physical and very sort of mentally tough, they can struggle to get over the top of them. And I think the, the Warriors-Sharks game from earlier this season where the Warriors had the great comeback win at Shark Park, no less, is, is sort of further proof of that. So while the Sharks do have all this, this sort of pretty dazzling attack, I think if the Warriors play to their strengths again, if they, if they play through Fanua Blake and, and, and Tohu Harris, if that back five can can keep going with the with the great planes in yardage that they've been making over the last couple of weeks. I think this is one that the Warriors will feel pretty good about. I think it's a good stylistic matchup for them. And as long as that defensive resolve that we were talking about a little bit earlier, as long as they bring that, I think they should be able to handle Cronulla. And that's a, that'd be a huge win for them in, in sort of the context of their season because it, it would really entrench them in the top eight. And I think a good win like this can have them aiming pretty high. I think if they get if they get the win here, they should start really, really dreaming about a top four spot, which is a, a big, big goal, but it's one I think they're capable of, uh, of completing. Four teams on 26 points uh, as we speak, heading into the next round, and that includes uh, the Raiders, who have uh, snuck into uh, the top four there. On uh, the back of a, a really decent run, actually, and uh, accounting for the Dragons, as you probably would have expected, 36-26? Yeah, well, <laughs> I expected them to win, but it's kind of getting to the point where I expect them to win in just, like, the most comical, haphazard, strange fashion. You know, this was a 10-point win, and it's their biggest win of the season. You know, the Raiders just, even when they're playing teams they should beat handily, they just somehow find a way to to get themselves, um, or to shoot themselves in the foot at the worst possible times, but not so badly that they end up losing. You know, they're a team of maniacs, Smithy. They're going to send me to an early grave one day, but winning 9 of 11, that's, that's a really great record. And now they're sitting in the top four. They've got their last buy, and they've got to go across the ditch to, to play the Warriors, and that'll be a really tough one for them. But 
apart from that, they've got a pretty good run home as well. So even though not many of their wins are all that convincing, they keep on winning and they keep on winning. And just because of the way that their draws set up, you know, this could be a team that's got a really imposing record come finals time. But they're a bit of a unique case, Canberra. I think they, they keep winning, but I don't know if anyone's all that impressed. But as long as you keep winning, that's got to be at least a little impressive, right? Well, I was impressed with their try celebration when Elliot uh, Whitehead dotted down. I was seriously impressed. I wondered what they were doing initially, and then I thought, hello, they've got their eye on the, the ashes, these boys, and Pierce Morgan didn't miss it either. Yeah, I thought, I thought that was great stuff. I, I love the little touch of making Elliot Whitehead the, the batsman as well. That's a, that's a real attention to detail in the, in the ancient art of try celebration. So really, really great stuff. Yeah, I thought it was the terrific uh, go down probably as the best try celebration of the year. I did not see this. I've got to say, I did not see this. Rabbitohs thirty two, Bulldogs thirty six. Yeah, this was a this was actually a really entertaining fixture. You know, I, I, I was I was kind of like you. I didn't really see this one coming. I thought Souths were going to account for Canterbury just because Canterbury's defence has been so poor over the last couple of weeks. But the addition of Toby Sexton, who signed with the Bulldogs only a few days before he came down from the Titans on a mid-season transfer, that really changed things for Canterbury just because it gave them a genuine um, a genuine halfback call in the shots and sort of setting things up the rest of the team. I thought it, it really freed up Matt Burton just to sort of play, it, play a little bit wider, play it with a little bit more creativity. He doesn't have to worry about organising as much. And, and you could really see the difference, you know, Blake Wilson, the, the rookie winger, he got a hat-trick. All, all, and all three tries were created through sort of Matt Burton's um, playmaking on the edge of the ruck. And it just sort of added a real, a really different dimension to Canterbury, you know. But South did really well just to stay in this contest and to roll back um, the, the way they did. I've got to be honest, I thought they were going to get a try right at the end there and sort of, you know, drive another dagger into Canterbury's hearts. Um, I thought Talis Duncan, the, the, the young Rabbitohs forward, was outstanding at second row. I think he's someone who pretty clearly has a really big future in, in, in first grade. You know, origin depleted rounds can be a little bit tough sometimes because all the stars are out and the games probably don't feel as big. But a game like this sort of shows the other side of it. You know, young fellas get in and, and, and get to sort of have, have their shot at the big time. And sometimes they can really make a name for themselves. You know, Talis Duncan's one guy like that. Blake Wilson's another. And the young Rabbitohs winger Tyrone Munro, he's probably a third. You know, I think those are three guys who are going to play a lot of first grade. And you know, we, we we saw how well they did on the weekend, but I think it's just a glimpse of uh, a glimpse of what's to come. Well, the Dolphins twenty three, the Titans uh, twenty one, which uh, I think was a, a pretty good result for the Dolphins. In that they could easily have just faded away after that great start to the season, but they're still holding in there with some great credibility. Their experience factor kicking in, um, but the, the the Titans are an interesting bunch. Uh, also, with Des Hasler, of course, taking over next year. I'm glad you mentioned the experience that the Dolphins have, Smithy, because I do think that that's what got them home in this one. The, the Titans are a very flashy attacking side. And you're right, seeing them with a coach like Des Hasler will be really interesting because it's clear there's some, some really good raw materials. There's some really, some really sharp players who, who can attack with the best of them. But what lets the Titans down is just sort of their lack of attention to detail. You know, they're, they're, they're the lack of sort of fundamental footy. They, they go for the big play all the time, but sometimes the big play isn't the right play. You know, and then the Dolphins are almost on the other side. If you take out someone like Hamaso Tabuai-Fibau, who was away on origin duty, they can lack a little bit of that attacking class. But they're so experienced and they're so well-drilled. And, and, and Wayne Bennett has been playing such a solid, fundamental brand of football that 
if, if, like, if, if they play a team like the Titans that can sort of blow things up for themselves, in the end, the, the you know, the, the hands of fate twist back towards the Dolphins. And that, that's, to me, what happened in this one. The Titans were kind of their own worst enemies at times, and the Dolphins just kept playing good, solid, fundamental football, made the big plays when it counted, when the situation called for it, and then end up getting the win. You know, there's been a bit of controversy about Aaron Clark getting penalised in Golden Point. I thought it was pretty clear that he was a good yard or two offside, and he got the warning a couple of times from Grant Atkins as well. And quite often we criticise referees for not making the, the big calls in the big moments, but to me, Atkins got that one 100% right. And it's a really big win for the Dolphins because it kind of keeps their top eight hopes alive, you know, and they have had a lot of injuries and a little bit, a little bit of steams come out of their season, but... You know, if they get all their origin contingent back, we've seen Wayne Bennett do, you know, great things with, with a lot less gifted teams. So I'm not writing them off just yet. Okay, cool. Uh, well, we can write off the, the Blues because they're done and dusted for this state of origin. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, do we write off Freddie? Uh, is this, um, this Freddie's uh, swan song uh, come Wednesday night? I thought after they lost game two that this was 100% going to be Freddie's last game as coach of New South Wales. But kind of reading the tea leaves a little bit in the few weeks since then, I'm, I'm almost going the other way. I think the New South Wales Rugby League haven't really identified uh, a successor for Freddie that they really like. So it wouldn't surprise me now if he hangs on and he goes around for another for another series. I, I think that will probably upset a, a lot of Blues fans. I think a lot of Blues fans are probably... Um, probably run their race with Freddie and, and are keen to see some new blood in there. But the lack of potential success is, is a real, real issue. You know, it's, it's a real head scratcher for the New South Wales Rugby League. So I think Freddie's going to hang on to the job regardless of the, the result on Wednesday. Maybe not because he's the best guy for the job, but maybe because there's just that there's no second choice. So, mm. yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, another big, it's another big comeback from Freddie. He's going to hang on for another 12 months or... I would think, but um, yeah, it's not a not a great time to be a blue smithy. I've got to tell you. Is it not possible these days? Is it not possible to be an NRL coach and a state of origin coach? Quite clearly, is is is, is that the, the the rule here? I mean, we're we're looking here at um, three games of, of rugby league a year, um, and that's pretty much it. I know there's a lot of preparation times and things go into it as such, but. You had a decent uh, support staff around you. Is there not a personality that could take them over? I think just some of the active NRL coaches just don't want to don't want to impact their club seasons that way. Like for a while there, it seemed like the New South Wales Rugby League was looking towards getting Ricky Stewart in as, as Blues coach. He's got a pretty good track record in Origin and obviously very experienced from all his time in the NRL. But he was the one that turned them down. He said he doesn't think he could give his club job and the state job the attention that they both require, you know. And I think the New South Wales Rugby League is open to having a club coach coach origin, but I think it's the club coaches themselves that are that are sort of that are sort of turning down that opportunity, you know. And that just really cuts down the pool of potential hirees. You know, I think someone like Craig Fitzgibbon could 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 be a good blues coach. I think Ricky Stewart would be a pretty good choice as well. But neither of them are neither of them are jumping at the chance because they've got their club jobs. So while I agree with you, Smithy, that I think it can be done, I I just don't know if anyone's gonna gonna sort of jump at that chance and and risk, you know, coaching 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 your state and your club and one adversely affecting the other. Do you think they'll ever take a risk and send a, a game uh, to uh, Eden Park in Auckland as opposed to say the Adelaide Oval in the state of origin? Wayne Bennett would quite like that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a it's a great idea in theory, but I'm just not sure how it's going to work out 
practically. Um, I, 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 I do know that one of the concerns they've had over sending Origin to New Zealand in the past is how it would line up with the TV schedule in Australia. They would still want a, uh, a, a, a like a late prime time kickoff, an eight o'clock kickoff type deal. So then you're getting towards a 10 p.m. kickoff in in New Zealand, and that's just I don't think that's really fair on the on the punters that are that are going to try and be there, you know. So. It is, a, it, is a, it is a bit of a tough one. I, I think it's a, it's a great idea, and I would love to see it happen at least once. If they're going to take Origin on the, on the road to different parts, of the, different parts of the rugby league world, Auckland's a place where I think where we get a, a fantastic atmosphere, even if it's, even if it's not on, on New South Wales or Queensland soil. But the logistics of it, the nuts and bolts, are, are sort of what concerns me, you know? And that, 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 sort of, that to me, is the, is the big hurdle in getting that one done. Well, look how England are coming back. It's 2-1 in the Ashes. What's been the reaction uh, in your neck of the woods? Uh, um, I, I guess just a little bit of, a little bit of frustration because it, felt, it feels like Australia's kind of thrown this one away a little bit. If, if Ben Stokes doesn't, doesn't go ballistic again in, in that second innings and Australia just has 50 more runs to play with uh, last night, I think they would have felt pretty confident about, about getting England. So it's not panic stations or anything like that. I think it's just more frustration that you know, they they they, they kind of had this game in their hands, and they threw it away with with that Stoke with that Stokes knock in the second innings, and then uh, Steve Smith and Marnus Labuschagne just playing those mindless shots to to Moeen Ali. If either of those things go Australia's way, then I think it's three nil, and you know we're, we're running around saying that the Poms just don't get Test cricket. But uh, as it stands, we got to we got to do it all again. So it's gone from five nil to four one, which you know still a pretty good result. <laughs> Good on you. Absolutely love your confidence, Nick. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and uh, th- <laughs> thanks for making some time for us uh, this Monday morning to review the weekend that was uh, in the NRL. Cheers, man. Look forward to State of Origin on Wednesday. Catch up again soon. Thanks for your time. No worries, Smithy. Always a pleasure, mate.